This show has explicit language and probably has mature themes. Hey, John, will you give us that intro lick? to Dexplanations. I'm Dexter Sorensen. I look some stuff up on Wikipedia, watch some YouTube about it, and I'm going to explain it to my friend David Gerondale. David, how's are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. It's the same day we recorded the last release episode, Animal Genitalia. I think it went really well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It is the same day. It is the same day. minutes later. Minutes. Um, So yeah, today's going good. Yeah. This is our second episode today. Absolutely. We're actually putting in some work. Champs. What Mm. are we going to learn about in this (laughs) second episode for the day? Thanks. Humidity. Humidity? Humidity. Humidity? Humidity. Let's do it. So yeah, we're going to first define humidity, then we're going to talk about ways to measure humidity, then we're going to talk about humidity's effect on climate, and then we're going to talk about hygrometers. Oh, shit. I feel like I'm going to learn a lot. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot more to know about humidity than I realized. There actually is. Dunning-Kruger effect. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. you're. That means you're in the mean and you know what you don't know, but you wouldn't... I didn't not until you just started confident. talking. All right. So humidity is a measure of the amount of water vapor in the air. Right. Right. And there's always some water vapor in the air. That makes sense. I mean, it's all around. You're not going to get rid of it completely. But here's the interesting thing about humidity. When the temperature increases, air can hold more water vapor. Right. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Just intuitively. I actually opened up my old physics book for this episode. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, So my physics book explained it like this. It's a conceptual physics by Paul D. Hewitt. It goes... Water molecules tend to stick together. However, because of their normally high average speed in air, most water molecules do not stick together when they collide. Instead, the fast-moving water molecules tend to bounce back when they collide and therefore remain in the gaseous phase. Okay, so basically gaseous. like... Gaseous, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you gaseous. can... <laughs> so you can kind of think of it as like tennis balls thrown at a Velcro pad. Like, if the tennis ball is going too fast, it won't stick to the Velcro pad, right, which is, right. in this case, another water molecule. Right, and because heat, uh, like, especially that that type of, like, convective heat... Is just a measure of the average speed at which molecules are moving. Right, exactly. And so, like, yeah, it, it makes total sense. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about ways to measure humidity. Yeah. Absolute, specific, and relative. Absolute, specific, and relative. Okay. So absolute and specific, honestly, was goddamn hard to figure out the exact difference between. But here's a quote from Wikipedia about absolute humidity. Absolute humidity describes the water content of air and is expressed in either grams per cubic meter or grams per kilogram. Okay, so it's actually really a, oh, it's a weight, it's a mass measurement. It's a actually. mass it's, measurement. It's not weight. Sorry, it's mass because it's, it's using kilograms. 
But yes, and, specific well, humidity is like quite similar. And but specific humidity is expressed as a ratio of the total mass of water molecules in the mass to the total mass of moist air. Right. So okay, honestly, yeah. I'm unsure how those are different. They're both both a measure like somebody or Wikipedia rather talked about how when the volume isn't specified, absolute humidity does change with temperature. But like when the volume isn't specified, I don't know how specific humidity. I mean, maybe this the mass, the volume rather is always specified in specific humidity. But basically, it's just the amount of water vapor in a given amount of air at any given time, regardless of the temperature. In what? So when you have the number, it's like, yeah. Is a percentage? Yeah, yeah. The specific is related as a ratio. So you have this. Oh, okay. So you have this much air on the bottom, and then you have this much water vapor on the top. Okay. And if you divide a ratio, it becomes a percentage. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk about relative humidity, which is more interesting. Okay. Yeah, because that is kind of confusing how they're different. Yeah, I didn't actually get that. Please, somebody tell me how they're different, because Cora was actually no help on me, for me. Neither yeah, was Wikipedia. I read it all. that's the first time they've ever failed. Yeah. Usually they're really good. Um, so relative humidity is the amount of humidity relative to the amount of humidity there could be at any given temperature. So because I talked about oh when, okay I see that's what you usually get in the on like in the, the weather, weather reports yeah, yeah. Um, so I like at any now. given temperature more more actual water vapor can fit in right and so there is a specific amount of humidity that can ever be at any given temperature right okay so one hundred percent humidity is called saturation. But what's so cool is that at a different temperature, that's a different amount of water. In the same amount of air. In the same amount of air. That's so yeah. cool. So you really have to take the temperature with that number together to get a good idea. Yeah. That's, so, uh, I really like that. I yeah. just learned s- s- uh, how to use an average tool that is given to me every day. I didn't really know like how it worked. Yeah. And now you gave me that. That's so cool. So I love that. as temperature decreases, the amount of water vapor needed to reach saturation also decreases. Right. Yep. Yeah, makes sense. And as the temperature of a packet of air becomes lower, it will eventually reach the point of saturation without adding or losing water mass. So as it becomes cooler, the same amount of water vapor will condense because it's reached what is called the dew point temperature. Okay, yeah. And so for any temperature, there's a dew point temperature. And that's where water where water vapor will actually condense into liquid water. And so that's the temperature at that's like the temperature with our paddle ball analogy where the ball is actually moving slow enough. That every time it on. contacts another water, every time it becomes yeah, connected. Or at least starts to. So, like, the dew point is the point where the air can no longer hold any moisture. And, like, when water condenses on the side of the glass, the glass is colder than the dew point temperature. Of the air. Of the so air. So, all of the, all of the air that is colliding with the side of the glass is now cold enough to condense. Right. All the, the water vapor. Yeah. Same as, like, do you see on blades of grass. 
Right. And partly that's because it gets so cold during the night, too, that the water just accumulates yeah, yeah. Uh, everywhere as it condenses out of the air. And we talked about this a little bit in Contrails and Distinctions 4, but that's like what happens in the air itself when clouds or fog form. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They just like lift up until they're actually reach the dew point. Yep. And uh, when the dew point is below freezing, frost forms instead of dew, and it's called the frost point. Oh, does that... Interesting. So that's like reverse sublimation. Yeah. Where yeah. it turns straight from a gas into a solid. Yep. That's interesting. Right? I wonder what the name for that is, because that is like the exact opposite of sublimation. Hmm. Where it turns straight from a solid. No, I don't know, but it is called the frost point. Frost point. Um, Frost point blank. So also relative humidity is a good indicator of comfort. Like most people feel best when it's like 68 degrees Fahrenheit and relative humidity is between 50 and 60 percent. Okay. Not too dry, not too wet. But when the relative humidity is higher, it starts to feel fucking gross. Hmm. And that's because. You can't sweat. You can't sweat. You still do. So yeah, here's the. It just doesn't do any good. Yeah. 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 We're going to get to that. So here's the process of sweating. When you're too hot, blood vessels open and let blood flow to your extremities. And that's so heat can escape through your sw- through your skin. Right. But your sweat glands also start to produce moisture, which takes a bunch of heat with it when it evaporates. Yeah, and so because it's a because evaporation is a cooling process. Exactly. It's a, I think what is known in chemistry is an ectothermic reaction. Okay. Hopefully I got that right, and it's not the other one, the exothermic. I believe it's an ectothermic, and it absorbs heat from its environment to help with the re- to uh, help with the reaction to get the necessary energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like when there's more moisture in the air, your sweat doesn't evaporate as quickly. Yeah, because the dew point is too high, and so you hold on to all that extra heat. Yeah. So when you sweat, you're not actually getting rid of the heat, which is why you feel so fucking muggy and shitty. Exactly. And you're just covered in your own sweat. It's not evaporating like it's meant to. And it's, it's not getting rid of the heat like yep. it's meant to. Yeah, exactly. It's not cooling you off, and it's not evaporating. So you're just being left wet and really hot. Gross. Um, That's awful. Yeah. Another interesting thing about relative humidity is how when it's snowing, the cold air can have a relatively high humidity. But when the same air is heated up indoors, the relative humidity drops significantly, and the dry air can cause discomfort like chapped lips and cracking dry skin. Oh, okay. So yeah, like because the, the relative humidity fluctuates according to the temperature of the air itself, Right. when you heat up cold air that has a good amount of humidity yeah. for comfort it becomes dry air. That makes sense. Yeah. Because the relative humidity drops quite a bit. Exactly. Interesting. That I never would have thought of that. I never would have thought of that either. It's kind of nuts. That is. So yeah, that 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 explains a like, lot why indoor or like cir- recirculated air is so dry. Yeah. Because Just the, because of that phenomenon. Yeah. You're taking what was cold wet air and, and once you it heat into, it up, like that, that wetness is gone because, like, it's specific, or yeah, it's specific humidity is way higher. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so yeah, let's talk about humidity and climate because we're going to get to another concept, which is interesting to all of that, which is specific heat capacity. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. But let's talk about humidity and climate and how humidity plays a role. So humidity is one of the most important aspects of classifying ecosystems. Okay. And that's because water has that specific heat capacity, which means it's very resistant to changes in temperature. That makes sense. When you think about it, like desert changes temperature a great deal Overnight. from like noon to midnight. You see an enormous temperature gradient, whereas like the rainforest stays relatively constant. Yeah, exactly. Um, because the the heat, the sorry, because the water in the air is hard to change the temperature of. You have to put a lot of energy into changing the temperature of water. Yeah, and so all night it's losing heat to the air around it, maintaining a, a somewhat constant temperature as the night goes on, and then by the time the sun comes back up, so yeah, it's it and that's up like also why water is a good insulator and can be used if needed in your car's radiator. And before like heat blankets, people used to heat up water bottles and take that around with them. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because like water just holds on to its heat really well. Yep. Like uh, my favorite example of how water is a good, has a really high specific heat capacity is that in North America, winds mostly travel westerly which is why San Francisco, which is around the same latitude as Washington, D.C., is warmer in the winter and cooler than D.C. in the summer. Oh, Because okay. it's right next to the ocean. It just has just milder It's right next to the ocean, and the ocean doesn't really change much in temperature over the year. Right. And so it's getting the air that's coming off the ocean, but by the time it reaches the East Coast, it's gone all the way over land, like the whole way, and so has changed dramatically yep. in temperature. Oh, yeah, yeah, according to the season. It's mostly being hit by the, blasted by the sun, and yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and uh, the cooling effect of evaporation accounts for like roughly 70% of the average net warming at the surface of Earth. Wait, wait, wait. Like the cooling the surface, effect of the surface, evaporation. The surface gets cooler, but the area directly around the surface gets warmer. Oh. And is released as infrared. Oh, interesting. And the other and that's, crazy... That's responsible for 10%? 70. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, man, I really misheard that. You just said 70%? 70% of the net average warming at the surface... Holy cow. Is from the evaporation that occurs on the oceans. Oh my goodness, that seems so significant it to me. It really does. And um, it's like huge. Also, the cra another crazy thing about water is that it's mostly trans transparent to green light, which is why you can see through it. The sun mostly goes in green light. Okay. But it's also like actually affected by red light and infrared. So, like, the heat that goes through the atmosphere into water starts bouncing off stuff. And when it starts bouncing off stuff, like the ground and the ocean in infrared, it starts to actually affect the water molecules. And so they hold on to the heat more. Water is the most significant of all greenhouse gases. 
wait, whoa. Yeah. See, I was starting to, my thoughts were starting to go along that line as soon as you told me that, like, they account for 70% of the warming at the surface. Like, yeah, they hold on to so much heat. And yeah. Wow. Um, somehow they require the other greenhouse gases. There was this term called slave, slave particles. And, like, there's another, a bunch of other stuff I don't understand. But yeah, water or water vapor is the most significant of greenhouse gases. Wow. Yeah. Um, but obviously not one we can curtail. <laughs> no, no, you can't. You can't really stop that. Also, the hotter it and gets, you wouldn't want to. Like the idea is to get rid of what's unnatural to the environment. Also, or like the hotter it gets, the hotter it gets, based on what we do, the more water vapor will be in the air. Which will continue the greenhouse effect. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's what's we're really worried about is a runaway effect. Like yeah. right now, Earth's natural systems yeah, have we been don't buffering. Be, we us. don't want to be Venus. Exactly. Exactly. Because Venus is Earth's twin in our solar system. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's still far enough away from the sun, even though it's close to us, to be perfectly suitable for human habitation if it didn't have this insane runaway greenhouse effect. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you want to talk about hygrometers? Yeah, or I hygrometers. Like Is it it's a hygrometer. A hygrometer. Mm-hmm. I only ever read it. So hygrometers are a tool used to measure humidity in the atmosphere, soil, or confined spaces. And usually they use a mixture of other measurements like temperature, pressure, mass, and or mechanical or electrical charge in the measured substance. Okay, that's what I most figured is that they use some sort of electrical yeah. charge. And, there's and... there's quite a few different ways they go about it. Okay. Um, Interesting. But the first crude hygrometer was invented by Leonardo da Vinci what? in 1480. That's cool as shit. Right? Um, but a more modern version was created by Swiss polymath Johann Heinrich Lambert in 1755. And in 1783, Swiss physicist and geologist Horace Benedict de Saussure, <laughs> or something, or something, invented the first hygrometer using human hair to measure humidity. What? So, hair is hygroscopic, which means it tends to hold on to moisture. Okay, is it just because of its exterior structure? Yeah. Okay. Um, but also, when a hygroscopic material interacts with moisture, it tends to change somewhat. Oh, okay. And so, when hair becomes moist, it changes in length. And then what? the changes in length can be magnified by a dial or scale. What? Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> right? That's fucking so ingenious. So, just like using a, a taut human hair. Yeah. Um, and Connected like, up to like a, a really fine scale. Yeah, you can actually measure the humidity. Um, but That's like, bizarre. It's kind of That's nuts. so cool, too, that just like a component of this very delicate, finely precise tuned, instrument. precise instrument for the was time, just a least. human hair. Yeah. Yeah, for the time. Um, modern... Hygro- more precise than anything you and I could make. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but modern hygrometers use a variety of means to measure humidity. Like, there are resistive hygrometers that measure the change in electrical resistance of a substance due to humidity. Okay, that's what I kind of thought. Yeah. And then there are thermal hygrometers that measure the change in thermal conductivity of air, or how the air is able to conduct heat. 
Interesting. Yeah. See, I didn't actually realize that there were hygrometers that worked in like atmosphere. I yeah. always thought of them in the context of like um, potted plants. Yeah, yeah, the the ones like in soil. Exactly, exactly. Um, but the thermal hygrometers measure absolute humidity rather than relative humidity. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And then there's another type called... Absolute humidity that I didn't really understand that well. <laughs> Wait, do or at you least still how not it understand was, it? I I know I understand it. I just don't understand its difference relative to specific Me humidity. Me neither. <laughs> Me goddamn neither. Ugh, that was one of the most frustrating things about this is I tried <laughs> really hard to understand the difference between those two things and I just still don't. Um, that's why I lumped them together. I was gonna anyway. Um, so gravimetric hygrometers measure the mass of an air sample compared to an equal volume of dry air. Oh, that's cool. It's yeah. basically like a, a weight. Yep. For with a yeah, a, a preset scale on one side or like a scale with a preset weight on one side and then with like the your sample uh of of like normal atmosphere on the other side. Yeah, they're actually the most accurate way to measure humidity, but the method is very, so like cool. really inconvenient. So gravimetric hygrometers are mostly used to calibrate other types of hygrometers. Oh, man. See, I was hoping it was like some cool thing <laughs> right? with like a glass bubble of just like pure dry air. I know. And then like, uh, I don't know. I was hoping yeah, it would be something cool you could like have really on your desk. Apparently they're just like really inconvenient, but like once you, ha- once you have a good hygro- like gravimetric hygrometer, you can just use that to like calibrate and fine tune other hmm. hygrometers. Interesting. That sounds tedious. Because you have to make calculations to use any type, really. Okay. Like, it's not really that simple. I guess uh, the hair one is kind of simple. Yeah, the hair one would be, but super imprecise. Like, what do yeah. you? What do you? What a number you do you assign to it? You still have to, to calculate it. it. Yeah. You're like, all right, it's it's point zero zero five millimeters longer. I guess what does that mean? And humidity. You're like the hair is point five five millimeters longer. Prepare for that <laughs> today. Yeah. Um, Dress accordingly. There's some other types that like measure with lasers the optical like like diffraction. Diffraction okay. or something like that. Um so there's like another optical type. Huh. But yeah, that that's sense. pretty much all I got about humidity. You humidity. Got, you got anything else you want to talk about? Hmm. Humidifiers are always really inexpensive, and dehumidifiers are always really expensive. Really? Yeah. Humidifiers are basically it's just easy. things that boil water. Yeah. Dehumidifiers <laughs> are like complex filtering yeah, I wonder mechanisms. How, I wonder how you even catch it. Maybe you have to condense it, like using like one of those coils. Yeah, I think they usually do. I think they would, instead of coils... Or yeah, they probably actually do use coils. It's probably a series of like tubes that the water goes through that are chilled. So that it condenses yeah. as it goes through them. Like how right? they, and then the what's air the process called the when they side. make alcohol? Uh, still. A distillery. A distill, yeah. They <laughs> probably just like distill air so, for water. Yeah. Yeah, basically, huh? Yeah. I mean, that's my guess. Yeah, that would be my guess too. <laughs> you got anything else? Mm. Nah. All right. That's it for this episode. Dexplanations is recorded at Rabbit Pen Studios in Eugene, Oregon. It's produced, edited, and provided them sweet licks by Jonathan Cunningham. Art and logo by Monet Moran. 
We don't got any new patrons supporting this show. It's the same day we recorded last last episode. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to thank all of our past and current cherished and beloved listeners on Patreon. Your support means everything to me, to us, and to the show itself. If you want to go support the show, like our current patrons, go to patreon.com slash Dexplanations. Or leave a review on iTunes. That's also helpful. Or tell your homies about it. Also helpful. Um, if you don't want to do any of it, no matter. It's all good. I love you. But yeah, likely we got a bunch of things wrong. If you want to tell me about it or just want to clarify something we went over or you want to bullshit, hit me up at DexplanationsPodcast at gmail.com. Tweet me at Dexplanations, comment on the Instagram, or get on the Facebook. I'll bring it up in a later episode or do a new episode about it. Oh, and as for you, I appreciate how well you handle your shit. Bye now. I'm not getting a tat on my ball sack. I'd I'd pinch um, just behind the head of your penis. Maybe for like five times as much. With my forefinger and my thumb and hold the penis maybe for up like, out of the way. Maybe for the, like five times. And if you got an erection, Dexter, I wouldn't even mention it. Okay. I would just be totally cool and I would act like you didn't get one.